Hello and welcome to Bootstrap, the podcast for software bootstrappers. If you are running a software company or looking to start one, then this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Steve McLeod. Today I'm joined by Craig Hewitt. Craig is a prolific podcaster, co-host of the Rogue Startups podcast, and founder of Castos. Welcome, Craig. Hey, Steve. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Did I pronounce Castos close to the way you would say it? Uh, yeah, really close. I, I pronounce it Castos, but yep, it's, uh, it's, it's good enough. As long as you call us, that's what we say. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure plenty of people are too. So Craig is actually more than a guest. For the next few episodes, Craig's going to be helping me as temporary co-host. So not just welcome Craig, but welcome temporary co-host. Uh, when the yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, me too. When the Bootstrap podcast was passed on to me, I was somewhat overwhelmed. Here I had a podcast with a sizable audience, and yet I had no podcasting experience. So the first thing I did was contact Craig for advice. We had met in person earlier this year in Barcelona, and he seemed to be just the person to talk to. Now, Craig's been more than generous with his time. And he's helped me behind the scenes to get things started with the Bootstrap podcast. So, Craig, I've described what you do in a sentence. Would you like to tell us in a few more words? Yeah. So, uh, on the on the podcasting front, I'm the co-host of the Rogue Startups podcast with my friend Dave Rodenbaugh. And on that, we talk a lot about the same kind of stuff you guys talk about on Bootstrap, which is you know bootstrapping businesses and and growing online businesses and remote work and things like that. Uh, Dave and I are coming up on our 200th episode uh, here in the next couple of weeks, which is really cool. Congratulations. That's a milestone. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. We've had a lot of fun with it. And as you mentioned, I'm the founder of Castos, which is a podcast hosting and analytics platform. And we've been running that for about two and a half years. Okay. And you have a couple of other things you do or is that the Castos is now the one you're primarily focused on? Uh, it's my main focus right now, but I also run a, a productized service called Podcast Motor, also in the podcasting space. And there we do uh, kind of concierge podcast editing and production for right now about 40 clients. Okay. They tend to be bigger organizations, I guess. Yeah. Really kind of successful entrepreneurs, startups, small to medium-sized businesses, basically anybody who wants to podcast, but not have to worry about all the stuff that you had to learn, Steve. <laughs> we just kind of take <laughs> care of it all for them. Yeah, there's quite a lot to learn. There's something you don't realize when you just listen to podcasts. It's more than just two people talking for 30 minutes. It's uh, preparing and editing and hosting, and whatever, promoting. There's a lot to do. So today we're going to discuss Tiny Seed. Tiny Seed's marketing blurb is the first startup accelerator designed for bootstrappers. And hey, we're bootstrappers. Now, Craig is part of the first cohort of founders going through the Tiny Seed experience. Craig, how would you describe Tiny Seed? Yeah, it's been quite different than uh, what I thought when we joined. And again, I always say we, but it's just me with Castus. I'm the I'm kind of a solo founder. We do have a team of six people now, and some of that came from from kind of the the funding of Tiny Seed. But but yeah, I think the tagline they have is is right that it's a it's a startup accelerator for remote teams. And typically kind of tends to be, at least in this first cohort of the 10 companies, uh, kind of smaller, 
businesses, but most of us have some degree of product market fit and revenue. I was looking at their FAQ and it described that they expect you to at least have a few hundred euros per or a few hundred dollars per month of our recurring revenue. And that maybe it's for people wanting to move from nights and weekends to full time. But definitely in your case, you were already full time, right? On, on Castos. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think we're one of just a couple of companies that were already full time or that this was kind of our main thing, but there's a little bit of everything in the first cohort. So the question I'm asking myself is, should I apply? It's a question I'm hoping to have a clearer answer to by the end of this episode. I've noticed that there's a second round or second cohort that's opening for applications next month. And actually, when the first, when I first heard about Tiny Seed, I thought, oh, this is not for me, not for me at all. But then I saw people like you, Craig, apply and actually be accepted. And it really made me think, perhaps, uh, perhaps this is right. For the for background about myself, Feature Upvote certainly has product market fit. Um, it pays the bills. We have we grow every month, and we're a small team. It's more than just me. So I see my own company similar in in size and scope to yours, Craig, and not like there's somebody who's just hitting uh, traction. So tell me why you applied to Tiny Seed. I think generally that there's a lot of reasons people can apply. One is uh, kind of starting from, I'll say, the smaller end to the the kind of larger end is, is you know, you have an idea and you think you can kind of make a go at it, but you need time because you're in your day job. And running a day job and starting trying to start up a startup is really hard to do at the same time. And there are definitely some of those people in the cohort. Um, and they have just a couple of customers, maybe a couple hundred dollars in MRR, and they just need more time and focus and a little bit of runway. Um, so, so that's one. I think the other is kind of these uh, these folks that are kind of the, the term we use in the U.S. is half pregnant, right? Um, so you you have say like two thousand dollars in MRR, so you can't quit your job, but you definitely uh, have something, and you just need more more time to focus. And that's that's probably the majority. Like that's the biggest bucket in the current cohort is there were people that had something but not enough to sustain them. And then joining Tiny Seed gives them the time and the resources and the the runway to go full time on it. Um, and then there was a couple of companies like Castos, where we had product market fit. It was our main thing, pretty much full time. And we looked at joining Tiny Seed as a way to accelerate our growth. And in particular for us, we did it mostly because of the industry we're in. So if you look at podcasting, anybody who kind of follows the industry, there are new players all the time. There's new funded players all the time. There's people getting bought out by big, huge funded people in the space. And we look at the opportunity to run like a, a base camp style, purely bootstrapped and never going to take any money kind of business in the podcasting realm here, you know, in the fourth quarter of 2019 as more difficult than if we, if we got some help and, and getting help and this form is is taking some money to be able to hire some folks and kind of put ourselves on the map, if you will, by by joining an accelerator like Tiny Seed. Wow, that's uh, that sounds like a tough level of competition you're you're dealing with there. So I hope Tiny Seed does does help with that. Uh, how much money did Tiny Seed give you? If they, if I understand, they get a percentage of your company in return for some cash up front. Yeah, I don't know that I'm allowed to say exactly how much they gave me. 
Okay. But yeah, it's all individual is the reason that I, I can't say it. I think they have some guardrails and some guidelines that they try to follow, but it's enough certainly for someone to live on for a whole year. Okay. And it's enough for you to hire one or two pretty solid people, either developers or marketers. And for that, they take what I think is a relatively small percentage equity interest in your company. The, and the, the place that TinyC differentiates themselves in terms of the terms from everyone else is that um, I think some of the other folks like IndyVC and Ernest Capital, you have the option to, to pay back or buy out that interest kind of in a structured way. And TinyC doesn't have that. They always want to be partnered with you. And for us, as our focus is growth in the, in the kind of short and medium term, this is kind of more aligned with us because we don't want to spend this money or the money that the business makes in buying them back out because that just kind of seems more like a loan as yeah. opposed to we want to keep the money in the business, keep it working in the business so we can grow as fast as possible, as quickly as possible. So I think that, you know, as folks are looking at evaluating Tiny Seed versus Earnest versus NDVC or whatever, that might be a question you want to ask yourself is like, what kind of instrument in terms of financing is the best fit for the goals of your business? Hmm. That's quite interesting. I didn't realize that there are basically a permanent part owner. I'm just uh, flicking my eyes down the FAQ and it says that they invest $120,000 for the first founder in exchange for eight to 15% equity. But I'm pretty sure that's just like you said, guidelines and they, they accommodate each person individually. Yeah, but, uh, but those are, yeah, that's very well within what we experienced at least. Yeah. Okay. And the idea is for most people that it covers your living expenses in the, for a year or in a case like yours, it can be invested into marketing, design, contractors, et cetera. Now, I've noticed there's a really good uh, set of mentors on Tiny Seed. Do you get much day-to-day contact with the mentors? Yeah, all the time. And it's the, the biggest surprise and, and a really, really pleasant surprise. So if I think you look at, Steve, you're talking about should you join Tiny Seed? I think that the reason you should or you should think about it is the money, which is nice. It allows you to, to go full-time or to accelerate your growth if you're already part, you know, full-time on it. The network that you're able to establish with Rob and Einar and Tracy and all the people they know and all the mentors and all the people the mentors know is the other really good reason. I mean, the network, the network effect of Tiny Seed. You know, if you compare it to something like a traditional startup accelerator, like Y Combinator or something, I think that the Y Combinator alumni network is is a pretty strong force in like the VC side of the startup world. And I think that that's a big goal of what Rob and I are are doing. And and I can already see it like f- being in the cohort is that everyone wants us to succeed and everyone is a lot of like the really most influential people in SaaS. <laughs> so that's, wow. that's a pretty good group to have on our side. And a lot of these mentors are investors as well. So they have like a, a really strong alignment with our success, both like personally, professionally and financially, you know? Wow, I'm just looking through the list of mentors now. It's, it's actually a, a more prominent list than I realized. It really is what you described, the who's who of, uh, of SAS. The founder of Basecamp, Rand Fishkin, Ruben Games, uh, Patrick McKenzie, who, by the way, was fundamental on me starting my first uh, online business. Sherry Walling. Yeah, that's, that's, the list keeps going. It's like dozens of people. So you can approach them anytime or it's like on a sort of a structured way that you get contact with these people? 
Yeah, there's a bit of structure to it there. You know, they obviously are really busy, important people. And so we don't kind of have carte blanche necessarily. And it depends on on the person, but it, the doors are definitely open. Um, we have We have kind of group calls with a lot of them. And then we have access to them one-on-one with ourselves or our team. Yeah, pretty much whenever we want. It's we have a we have a Slack channel, and a lot of them are, are very active in there, and so that's cool on like a a one-off kind of pinging basis. And then for calls and meetings and things like that, as needed as well. Yeah. Are you uh, able to or allowed to describe a way in which one of these mentors have has specifically really helped you? Yeah. So we got help from one of the mentors that I didn't know before. His name is Taylor Hendrickson. Taylor runs a big marketing and kind of paid acquisition agency out of Oregon. And we got on a call. It primarily was going to be to talk about like our, our Google AdWords campaigns and got really off topic in a good way into everything relating to like customer personas and the customer journey and the customer's steps that they go through as they're looking to from like realizing they have a problem to finding a solution that you know some kind of solution exists to finding your solution to deciding to buy your stuff um, these are all things that this guy Eugene Schwartz talks about with like the five levels of, of a customer journey and I'd never really heard of it but Taylor was kind enough for like an hour and a half <laughs> to walk me through kind of he knows quite a bit about podcasting so how he thinks about podcasting the different types of people we might uh, encounter and, and where we talk to them in their journey and, and kind of what language, we use to talk to them at different phases in their journey. This is part of my microconf Europe talk here in a couple of weeks is kind of the whole topic of the talk is, is kind of using some, some of your metrics to discover kind of where in your customer journey people, people are coming in mostly and how to talk to them. But it just totally blew my mind. And I consider myself like a, a reasonable marketer, but, but I'd never really kind of put all that together. I mean, it really makes sense when somebody explains it to you. And I mean, Taylor is a, you know, probably mid seven figure business agency owner and to take wow. an hour and a half to to talk to me about this stuff, you know, Grat- for- gratis, of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's amazing. What was the name of the book or you recommended Eugene? Eugene Schwartz is Schwartz. The, the guy. And I think if you just, you know, Google Eugene Schwartz customer journey or five phases of a customer journey, you'll find a lot of articles recently about it but the book he wrote is really old and and pretty much like out of print but a lot of the online marketing folks have been talking about this more and more these days as kind of a way to identify where your ideal customers find you in their kind of buying process and then how to how to talk to them in the language that they can relate to at that step oh, that sounds great for so long i've just pretty much ignored marketing or done such a ad hoc, unfocused job, maybe not so much with feature upvote, but certainly with my past product. And I think like the product suffered a lot. It could have been so much more if I had actually taken time to get this type of advice and to apply it. I come from a software development background and we like to think that a good product is all you need to sell. And of course, right. it's, you learn pretty much in the first few months of releasing a product that a good product does not sell itself. Yeah. Yeah, Taylor's photo on the Tiny Seed page has him clutching a bottle of beer, I think. <laughs> oh, good for it. Well, he's from like Hood River, Oregon, which is like the, <laughs> in the US, like one of the big meccas of, of craft beer. So, aha, uh-huh. hence the bottle. Okay. Yeah. Do you want to describe how 
it was to apply for Tiny Seed? Like, it, did it require a lot of time? Did you have to go through in-person interviews? Were they helping you in the process, or did you just have to kind of blindly go through it and hope that you were answering the questions the way they wanted them answered? Yeah, I wouldn't say they helped me through the process. You know, I've known both Rob and Einar for a few years, but I, I think that. So I know that there are definitely people that applied and came into Tiny Seed that they didn't know, which is really important, I think, to creating a diverse group of people and types of companies and things like that, which is something they're they're doing well with, I think, and, and trying really hard to to foster. But the process basically was there's an application that had, I don't know, 10 or 15 questions that are all pretty standard about you and your business. And from there, there was kind of a first round. I'm sure they cut you know, 80% of the applications yeah. before, before kind of a follow-up email or phone call. And then I had two calls with Rob and a call with Einar to, uh, as kind of the, the interview process. And they were both 30 or 45 minutes each. And a lot of questions around myself and my position in the business and what our team looked like and what the market looked like and where we sit in the market. And then a lot of questions around the metrics of the business. So, you know, what's your average revenue per user and what's churn and what's growth looked like and kind of where do you think you fit in the product market fit spectrum and things like that. We gave access to our ProfitWell dashboard so they could look at all that stuff directly, but they want to hear your interpretation of it. Like they can look at the numbers and say, you know, this is good or not. But I think what it really is, is like how you view and interpret those numbers in relation to kind of how successful you are and like what potential there is, right? Because I think there's some businesses that could take investment or join the cohort and never be really great businesses. And yeah. so I think that's something that they look at is like, if they're going to put their $100,000 or whatever it is into the business, they want to get a return on it. And so your business has to be, has to have the potential to be a solid seven figure business uh, right, or, right. or the, the math doesn't work for them or for you. You right. shouldn't give up your business if it if it can't be that big. Yeah, if it's only going to, I think they take dividends, right? That's how Tiny Seed gets paid, or as you hit a certain level of profitability. Yep. So they, if you declare dividends, they'll take their percentage of the dividends, and when you sell, they would take their okay. percentage. Yep. So, so if the company's only going to produce a very small amount of dividends, even at its peak, uh, or its optimal potential. And they're still not going to reach the money they put into it. Of course, why would they apply? Why would they even want to invest? So I can understand no. why they'd want to analyze your company in the industry. But What's I think this is another big difference between Tiny Seed and some of the other platforms like it is they do have the option for you to run this business forever and for you to make a bunch of money and be really successful. And they'll participate in that through this quarterly dividend kind of split. You know, they get their percentage of of the quarterly dividends. Whereas I think most of the time when you take someone's money, the goal is for you to grow. And so they don't want you to be profitable and take a dividend. So I, and I think in our cohort, we definitely have some people that will plan to grow and take dividends and run the business for a long time. Um, okay. and, and we might too, I don't know, but it's an option and not having that optionality is huge. I think I'd like to grow for a few years and then not. That's like, at one point, continuing to grow just causes so much stress. The company becomes a very different thing. And I just don't want to find myself running a company of 50 or 100 people or more. So I like that they are, they're not expecting you to grow no matter what. 
Yeah, I think that they are really aligned on the personal side with what most founders like us want to do. I want to have a big, successful, profitable business, but I don't want to have to go, you know, kill myself or be crazy about <laughs> yeah. about the growth, you know? Yeah. So what's changed for your company so far since uh, joining Tiny Seed? Yeah, so we were able to, with the financial part of it, we were able to take one of our developers from part-time to full-time. And we're able to hire a full-time marketer. And really, like, we are not kind of burning that much cash on a monthly basis. We are burning a little bit, but it really is the the confidence that I can promise to these people, okay, you're going to come on board. We're going to pay you a, a monthly salary. You don't have to track your hours anymore. You don't have to worry yeah. about all this gibberish. And we have, you know, years of runway in the bank now. So that's really kind of what it's done. And it's let me kind of move my foot with hiring a marketer, it's allowed me to kind of move my focus a level up in the business as opposed to like doing all the marketing and doing all the product stuff. Now we have, you know, part-time designer as well. So I work with a designer, I work with a marketer, I work kind of as like head of product. And then we have two developers that are doing all the engineering stuff. So it's let me kind of elevate a little bit and manage the team, which I think is where you really get into like strong leverage in a business when you you have a team who can execute all the stuff and you're the one there to to kind of have the vision and guide and communicate. Has it also improved your revenue growth or is it too early to know about that? Yeah, it definitely has. It definitely has. You know, one thing we're one thing we're finding that I think is just like kind of simple math is like at a point all it's like SaaS or subscription businesses plateau if nothing else changes. <laughs> you know, like Yeah new growth meets churn and you're going to plateau. And pretty much right when we joined, we were on that track. And and since then, we've only been in the cohort for like four months at this point. So we we joined at kind of a crappy time to to have that coincide with our growth kind of slowing down, but then it's re-accelerated here in the last couple of months. And yeah, definitely it's because we have Denise, our full-time marketer out there just doing a ton of of content and and traffic generation and lead generation to where yeah all of our kind of top of funnel metrics are up in the last couple of months. Oh, wonderful. I have noticed that you have, uh, Castos has been continuing to improve the the content about how to podcast and other tips that you people need to get started. And there, by the way, to anyone listening who's interested in podcasting, it's a really good place to start if you want to know more about how to podcast is go and read the content on Craig's website on Castos's website. Cool. Thanks, Steve. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. It's certainly been a help to me. So unexpected benefits. Did we cover that? I guess, I guess we did. You talked about being able to uh, talk to uh, the marketing guy whose name I forgot already, Taylor. Yeah. 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 What about negative things? Has it increased your stress level? Yeah, so I think this is where it the decision to join is really, really personal because stress is definitely there because it's not just you and your whims of what you want to do with the business anymore. You know, Rob and Einar, the the founders of Tiny Seed, are extremely low pressure. Um, even you know, if a company wasn't performing, I still don't think they would kind of get after them to do more, or do better, or anything like that, which is really great because they have an interest and kind of a, a right to do that, I think, as an investor. Um, but but I've not gotten I've not gotten any of that externally, but I put it on myself. And I knew that going into kind of the 
like one of the the situations I really thrive in like professionally is when I have a stressful situation and I know it will be like that for a period of a couple of years. And I have people that I'm working with, or I have bosses or in this, in this case, investors that I really like and respect that kind of combination of stress and high expectations and people that I work with or for that I really like and respect is kind of where I personally excel. So that's like good pressure for me. Um, so I, I figured that's what it would be going in and it has been, so, uh, there's more pressure, but it for me, it's been a really good pressure. There's also been like a positive peer pressure of the other cohort companies where everybody is doing this stuff and, and we have a success channel in Slack and people are posting some really awesome wins. And if you don't have a win to post, you know, for a week or two, you kind of say to yourself, well, shit, like I gotta, <laughs> I gotta get on the pony here and, and do something. So I have. I have some stuff to share. Um, and that's been, that's really cool. Like that community part of thing with the other, with the other cohort founders. Oh, that's wonderful. So it's like all the, all the companies in the cohort are, are rising together due yeah. to that, that positive peer pressure. I have noticed from some of the companies I'm familiar with in that tiny seed cohort that there's a lot of cross promotion going on. I might see a blog post from founder A appearing on founder B's website, or I might, here, founder C on founder D's podcast, etc. Mm, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And what about time? Has it made you have less? Well, are you working harder and longer hours now because of that kind of positive pressure? Or were you already a hard worker beforehand? Yeah, I'm a pretty hard worker. I think I'm working smarter. I know that like I, I track my time with rescue time. Rescue I track time. my time with rescue time on my computer and I'm always working 35 hours a week, give or take. And yeah, so that, that's not really changed, but, but I think getting uh, kind of one level up in the business where we have somebody responsible for all of the major kind of aspects of the business and I'm able to, to manage the people and help with communication and guide some of the vision that my time invested is, is higher leverage and kind of worth more than it was before writing blog posts or organizing drip campaigns and workflows and stuff like that. Like we have Denise who does all that stuff now. And so kind of my time is on more high value stuff. Uh, that makes sense. You've mentioned uh, Denise, your marketing person a few times. Were you able to employ her like full-time permanently or did you think, well, I have this amount of money that's been invested. So I'm just going to recruit somebody for one year and they know that's the deal. Oh no, she's a, a long-term hire. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's nice. Uh, it's a, a really good commitment you're able to make there. Yeah, I think I've heard you say, uh, perhaps on on the Rogue Startups podcast, that you went from being a profitable company to being a little bit unprofitable when you first started when you took the investment because of the ramping up you did. Uh, that would have been, surely created a bit of stress for you. No, not really. <laughs> I mean, with the amount of kind of burn of unprofitability that we have every month is... Yeah, pretty insignificant compared to the money we have in the bank. Um, because we we are growing every month too. So in the couple yeah. of months since we've hired Denise and since the developer went full time, we've offset that spend by a lot. So and that's kind of the I, I think that's the goal, especially when you get people on the sales and marketing side, is they should pay for themselves pretty quickly. You know, you need to to have this runway for them, maybe, but it's not a sunk cost like an admin person or an office or something that, that that's never going to give you yeah. money back. You know, Denise should be and, and is like contributing to the top line 
pretty heavily. Oh, that, that's, that sounds like it's worked out really well already. Yeah. So these are really good questions uh, for they help me think uh, whether tiny seeds something I should be applying for. These, these mentors sound wonderful. And I think the peer pressure, the positive peer pressure also sounds like the type of thing I'd benefit from. Whether I'd be willing to give up a percentage of my company to somebody else. I kind of like being 100% owner and this feeling that I'm completely in control of my own destiny for better or for worse. Mm, anything you could, you would say to persuade me one way or the other? Yeah, I think, I think the biggest thing comes down to what your goals are. If the business is you know, sustaining you and your family and giving you everything you need from a, a financial and a personal fulfillment level, then I think joining isn't something that you should do because there are kind of strings attached and you give up part of your business in return for the kind of promise or the goal of more growth than a bigger company in the end. But if you do want to build, you know, a big, successful, profitable company that that can impact your life and kind of create generational wealth potentially for, for you and your family and the other people in the business, then, then I think it's definitely something to consider. It just helps accelerate the path that you could go on otherwise. So your business without joining Tiny Seed could get to whatever, seven-figure ARR in three or four years. And if you joined and took a little bit of money and hired people to accelerate that and shorten that time span, then it could be a year or two. And then I think that's just the, the kind of math that you have to do in terms of like, if that's your goal. If it's not, then I definitely wouldn't. If it is your goal and you're willing to give that up to shorten the time span, then it's definitely worth considering. I do have to say though, Steve, I think Tiny Seed only invests in US-based companies. So I'm not sure where your company is nexist, but... We're in Spain. Yeah, never yeah. mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an easy way to settle the, the, the decision. So you live in France, but your company is an American company? Yep. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a big factor. Yeah, maybe I should have led with uh, that information, but then we wouldn't have had the, the, the pleasant conversation about Tiny Seed. Hey, I've really been enjoying watching Tiny Seed from from the sidelines and hearing about it on Rob Walling's podcast he does with Mike Tabor, Startups for the Rest of Us. It's been really interesting to even just fantasize about what it would be like to take a little bit of investment and how I would use the money. Maybe for now, that's where I'll stay. It's like a, just a hypothetical yeah, on the US-based company thing, that's how it was for the first cohort. I don't know if that has changed or if it will change in the future, but you know, maybe kind of check in with the tiny seed folks to see what that is. Like Steve, if you're honestly looking at it or if anyone else is outside of the US looking at it. But we do have another founder that is European-based that created a business in the US to join Tiny Seed. So that's it's definitely possible Stripe Atlas actually makes it really easy to create a Delaware C Corp. And then like it makes all of that process really easy. It's all just done right through Stripe dashboard. So <laughs> it's yeah. uh, it's amazingly simple. If this is where people want to go, it's definitely doable. Yeah. And then the other option, of course, is to to write to Tiny Seed and ask them, perhaps they're going to set up an opportunity for people with a UK company or a Canadian or Australian. I couldn't imagine them going like into continental European countries purely because of the bureaucracy here in continental Europe for running a company is over the yep. top. I just couldn't imagine how it'd be worth the time and the energy of tiny seed. They have to deal with that. Yeah. But, too many, I, too many variables. I think they have a hard enough time with, you know, C corps and LLCs and all the 50 different States. Like there's <laughs> that part of it was very challenging for us and challenging for them. And I, I'm, I'm sure 
that coming outside of the U.S. would be would be a big ask. But but I think they ultimately want and need to do it. It's just a matter of how. Yeah. You know. I guess they have a, a lawyer and retainer or accountants who have developed are uh, developing a expertise in that area. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Okay, Craig, I guess that's all we have time for today. I try to keep these episodes to not much more than 30 minutes. It's been really interesting hearing uh, the inside story of how you have been going with Tiny Seed. No, it's my pleasure. Thanks, Steve. Listeners, if you'd like to discuss more about today's topic, please go to our forum at bootstrapped.fm and join the conversation. So goodbye from me. And goodbye from me as well for now. Thanks, Steve. And goodbye, everybody. That concludes this episode of Bootstrapped. You can discuss this episode and other bootstrapping topics on our forums at discuss.bootstrapped.fm. Until next episode, goodbye.